Well, if you turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, if you are visiting this week, that we are going through a short study uh, on the topic of why have an evening worship. Uh, we are going to be starting our evening worship services back up after a hiatus from the COVID pandemic, and we are going to be bringing them back uh, in the fall. And I want to help us think through this question of why do we have an, e- why do we have an evening service? Uh, many churches today uh, have moved away from that practice, and I want to help us think through what Scripture teaches not only about the Lord's Day, but about our worship and why this is something that is important and helpful for our spiritual growth and our spiritual life. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 as we turn to the preaching of God's Word this morning. We're going to be in verse 4 and read to verse 16. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all, all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ascends the reading of the word of the Lord to us this morning. Let us pray and ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and ask that you would speak to us now through your word. Lord, would you open our hearts to receive this word by your Holy Spirit? Apart from the working of your Spirit, we can receive nothing from you. Father, would you make it fruitful in our hearts, that not only would we receive it, but that it would grow up and lead us into faith and obedience to what you called us to. And Lord, we pray that Christ Jesus would be exalted and glorified in this preaching today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'd like to answer this question that I began asking last week in a bit different way today. This question is, why have an evening service? Why do something that has quickly fallen out of favor in most churches throughout our country? 
It's something that was a standard practice a mere 30 years ago. I related to you last week a story of when I was a child going to evening service and dreading it, and now here I am 30 years later trying to convince you of reasons why you should come to an evening service. And we try, I wanted to open this thought, this question of why have an evening service with looking at rest. I think one of the reasons people have turned away from having an evening service is they have redefined this concept of rest. That rest has been defined often in a worldly way. This kind of rest is a good rest. It's a necessary rest that we all need. But I think Scripture has much more to give to us about how we think about what rest is, this concept of Sabbath. And this week, I'd like to, uh, for us to look at this question of how does God give us this rest? Last week, we looked at what is this rest? What is it? And now we want to look at how does God give us this rest? There's something I drew out in our sermon last week on enthronement. That yes, rest is ceasing from our ordinary worldly labors, but it's more than that. It's something that we participate in the heavenly reality of God's enthronement, his rest, his refreshment, as Scripture might call it, of being seated as the king enthroned over all creation. And this is something that Adam and Eve and then Israel later anticipated and that we now as Christians enjoy in a already not yet reality, that there is a part of this that we enjoy, but there is a fullness that will come later of God's rest that he has. And now you may be wondering, what in the world does Ephesians 4 have to do with this? Well, I think at the center of this is this thought of Christ ascending. That as we understand rest, part of that has to do with Christ's enthronement, that this is what is preached to us, taught to us in this passage this morning, that Christ has ascended as the king. He is now reigning in heaven. And then he does something from heaven, sitting in that rest, as he gives rest to his people. And I'd like us to look at how he does that. Before we look at how he does that, gives us rest, I'd like us to look at the reason that he can give this rest to us. It's very important for us to think about the reason that Jesus can even do this. And the reason is, in short, that Christ has ascended to the Sabbath rest. Now, if you're a Christian, you may think, well, that's obvious. But there's something about this that's important for us to reflect on, about why Christ has ascended to the Sabbath rest. Why it is important for us to understand this. Why is it significant that Jesus has ascended, as this text tells us? Therefore, it says, He who ascended on high has led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. The significance of the ascension is first and foremost not that the Son of God is enjoying the Sabbath rest. God and all three persons of the Trinity has been enjoying since the completion of creation his Sabbath rest. There is something unique that's happening here. It is not that the Son of God is enjoying the Sabbath rest. 
but it is that a man is enjoying the Sabbath rest. What is new and unique and truly significant is that a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sitting in heaven enthroned enjoying the Sabbath rest. Now, why is that important? Because man forfeited their right to enjoy the Sabbath rest. To sit in the heavenly world with God, the heavens above, that God promised that mankind would enjoy if they fulfilled their obligations to God. Mankind forfeited their ability to the Sabbath rest. Yet here now there is a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, both God and man, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, enjoying this rest. How could he do this? Well, we need to understand what it means for us to forfeit our right to enter into that Sabbath rest. See, when mankind fell in Adam, that we forfeited our right to that. Adam, after sinning, was forbidden from the prospect of earning heaven. God put Adam into the Eden to work, to till, to guard and keep it, and to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He told him, don't do this. This is your job, what you're supposed to do. And we all know the story. Adam failed to do this. He ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did God do? He kicked him out. He kicked him out of the garden. Adam failed to obey God and what he told him to do. And then he was barred from being in the land of Eden, in this garden of Eden. That that Eden was a holy land. It was unique from the rest of the world that Adam was supposed to work. And as we heard last week, develop and grow the kingdom of God on the earth. Extending this all throughout the earth. And in a similar way, this is what the people of Israel experienced. The Sabbath command was also given to Israel when God gathered them at Mount Sinai. That now they were going to enter into the promised land, a picture, a type of the Garden of Eden. And just as Adam was to fulfill his task, and the weekly Sabbath was given to him as a sign of the prospect that he would one day enter that Sabbath rest, so the people of Israel, living in a picture, a type of Eden, would one day enter the Sabbath rest that God had promised to them. But Israel, like Adam, failed in their task. And then mankind in Adam was barred from the land of Eden, from the Garden of Eden. And they were forbidden that they could no longer enjoy that Sabbath rest. That no longer is there hope for them. After Adam and Eve were ejected from the garden, Genesis chapter 3 tells us in verse 24 that God protected the Garden of Eden. He protected the way to the tree of life. You eat of the tree of life, you have eternal life. You have won the prize You will now have the right to enter into that Sabbath rest. Yet what does God do? He placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. God says no more. The way to eternal life is barred from mankind. 
We have forfeited it. And we cannot access it. And the only way that you can have a right to eat of that tree of eternal life is if you pass through the flaming sword. You must go through that sword if you want to get to the tree of life. Ultimately, if you want to get to God's Sabbath rest, you must die. You must be put to death. And that is why all the Israelite males were circumcised. Before they were, they were on the precipice of entering the promised land in Joshua chapter 5. And what does God command Joshua to do? At that time, verse 2, chapter 5, as they're about to enter the promised land, at that time the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. See, now Moses, when he received this command from God to circumcise the people of Israel as they were wandering in the desert, they performed that. But the people failed to keep God's command in the wilderness wanderings. And God says, now you are going to enter into the promised land. But in order to do that, you must have a symbol of death put upon you. Circumcision. This cutting off. It was a sign and a seal, as Romans chapter 4 tells us, of the righteousness of faith that's needed. It is the cutting off of the flesh, the putting to death of sin, and the righteousness that they would need by faith to enter back into that promised land. They could not enter the holy land without a picture of death and righteousness of life placed upon them. See, our sin bars us from entering into God's holy rest. We cannot enter that. We have made ourselves utterly incapable of entering that. We're lost. We're here. We're going to die, enter the ground, and then face God's judgment one day. And that is this text this morning tells us why Christ must descend. Must descend in order to ascend to that Sabbath rest. Listen to what it says. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also... In saying that he ascended, this is verse 9, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? What does this mean that he descended into the lower regions of the earth? There is much discussion about this, but I believe it's quite simple for us. This is simply Christ's death and burial. Descending into the earth, being placed under the earth. This was a sign of the curse that God had placed on man, that they were under the curse. From dust you were taken, to dust you shall return. This was not the intention of God for mankind. They were not supposed to ultimately be returning back to dust. They were to be exalted to heaven, to be glorified, and enjoy God's heavenly Sabbath rest. But Christ, in his descent that ultimately led to his death on the cross and his descent to the lower regions of the earth, being buried in the ground, it shows us that Christ has undergone the judgment that is due to all of us for our sin. The sword of judgment that is supposed to rightly fall on us has fallen on Christ. 
We must all pass through death. But Christ does this first. This is precisely what Colossians chapter 2 teaches us. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. The meaning of the descent is that the Son of God has put an end to the judgment that barred man from this Sabbath rest. He had to descend in order to ascend. He had to suffer that judgment. He had to come under the judgment of that sword in order for us to be able to go with him back up into heaven. And then what does Christ do? He cannot be held by death. He's the righteous one. Death cannot hold him. And God raises him from the dead. But he doesn't just raise him from the dead And leave him here on earth. No, he ascends. He ascends back into heaven. Far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. But what does Christ do when he goes back into heaven? Does he just go there by himself and say, I've done it, it's all good. And now you are on your own to figure out the pathway here. No. Christ ascending to heaven takes the spoils of heaven and now he gives the riches of heaven to his people here who remain on earth. In verse 8 it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now what does Christ give? And this is what Christ gives us to to us from his rest. What does he give? It's fascinating what the text now describes that Christ gives to his people. Christ gives gifts from his heavenly Sabbath. And this is what he gives. Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Christ ascends to heaven in his Sabbath rest, and now he gives officers in the church. It's a strange thing. In fact, it's a bit jarring for our ears today in the culture that we live in. Jesus ascended into heaven to give apostles and pastors and preachers and teachers, evangelists. Yes. And Paul tells us why he gives these people to his church For the equipping of the church, ministering to the church, building up the church. This is the way that Christ gives his rest that he has, is through these people who are ministering God's word to his people. See, ultimately, all of these offices that Paul lists here are those who are ministers of the word in some fashion or another. Some of these have ceased with the time of the apostles. Some of them continue. But Christ now serves and ministers to his church through those who bring God's word to them. 
this message that heaven has been won by Christ. Heaven has been brought near to us. And now we are those who bring that message to you. We are those who minister God's word to his people. That the way that God gives his heavenly rest to his people is through his word that is proclaimed. Now, I am merely a servant of Christ Jesus. And I am here to bring God's word to you. That is my job. And I want us to think about what my job is for a moment. When a significant diaconal issue arose in the early church in Acts 6, the apostle said it's not right for us to serve tables. But later on, and a few verses later, what does Paul say? Does he say we're going to now rule with the word? We're going to exercise our authority? Certainly that's possibly in mind, but what does he say? He says we need to give ourselves to the ministry of the word. That word for ministry is the same root word that Paul says it's not right for us to serve tables. It's the Greek word for service. It's not right for us to serve tables. It's right for us to serve the word. There are those in the church who serve the earthly food that you need. There are those who have been given for that purpose. And there are those who serve the spiritual food that you and I need. That is the calling of pastors and teachers, of evangelists, to minister God's word to you, to declare to you this heavenly rest that God has won for you. And that's why, pastors, we need to be educated. I can't just stand up here and read God's word because I have a feeling of what I think I want to say to you. I have to know this word. I have to study it and be prepared. And I have to be examined in my life and doctrine. This is what our presbytery does. They make sure that if I'm going to stand up here and declare to you on behalf of God what God's word teaches that I have been approved. But that approval does not cease at that moment. It is a lifelong process that a minister must go through because I'm one who, in my office, am speaking on behalf of God. Now, this is a sobering reality, both for you and for me. As I reflected this week on this truth that I am a gift from God to you. And you might be saying, we don't like you very much, Mr. Paschal. Maybe you do. I don't know. But I have, God has given me to you. And I look at myself and I think, I am not worthy to be given to this church. Yet I must fulfill the ministry that God has given to me. To proclaim the glories of heaven to you. What God has won through Jesus Christ for his church. And it's not that I'm special. Paul says in verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I cannot do my job except by God's grace. This does not come from myself. It is not I, but God who is working in me that does anything good in this congregation. 
Now, not everything, but lots of bad things in this congregation will happen because of me. But anything good that happens here is not because of me. It is because of the grace of God. And it shows the utmost importance of what we are here to do. To hear God's word. And woe to me if I fail to preach God's word to you in all its fullness. But this is what I want us to see here. Christ ascended into heaven giving those who are going to minister his word to his people. And it's from this heavenly rest that now he is giving rest to his people. Protecting them. Training them. Building them up. Through this ministry of the word. Ultimately my job as a pastor. Is to proclaim the gospel to you. The good news. That's why God gave all these ministers of the word. To tell the people the good news. The power of God for salvation. As Roman 1 says. Paul says I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. They are Christians. Paul understands, I am eager to go preach to you Christians the gospel. You Christians who've known Christ possibly your whole life, you need to hear this gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Because in the gospel, the rest, the Sabbath rest that you and I need is declared to us. That Christ has descended That he has taken the judgment due to us for our sin on himself. He was buried. He died. He took the curse. He took that curse away from us upon himself. And then he ascended. He rose from the dead and entered into the rest that we all desperately need to enter into. But cannot of our own. And that is what I'm here to declare to you. But I want to tie some threads together because the question I'm asking is, why have two services? Why have two services? See, it's not only the Lord's day, the Sabbath day that God sanctified. We looked at that last week. It's not just the day that God distributes to his people the blessings of that Sabbath rest. It's not only a day devoted to worship, first and foremost, through the hearing of God's word. That is to God's word that we turn to, to hear our rest. The gospel message, the good news that God has sent a Savior to us. But this is a day in which we hear God's word to be strengthened, to be nourished, to be fed, to be convicted, to call us away from our sinful life, and to find our rest in Jesus Christ. And I, as your pastor, want to help you to sanctify this day, to set apart the Lord's day each week by giving you opportunity to hear the proclamation of that rest that you have in Jesus Christ twice. And you say, that might feel like a lot. The early church gathered every day to hear the apostles' teaching. I'm not requiring you to come Monday through Friday or Saturday. Although, I might have a conversation with the elders, and, but uh, no, I won't do that. 
We need to hear that message every day. But how much more on this day that God has given to us to find our rest? But I'm here to declare you this message from heaven today. That God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth as a savior from sin and wrath. And by his death, he has conquered all the powers of Satan, of hell, of sin and death. And now he holds the keys of heaven, invites all to come who believe in him, that he is their savior. He invites you to believe that when he died on that cross and was buried in that ground, that he did that for you. That he suffered the punishment, the curse that you deserve. He invites you to believe in his ascension. That he was raised from the dead, that he is the perfectly one, one who is perfectly righteous and lives. And you can be counted as righteous in God's sight because of Christ's life. The life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And so today, come. Come, believe in Jesus Christ. Find rest for your weary souls. Souls weary and sick from sin. As Jesus said, come to me all who are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This gospel is the rest that your souls and my soul as your pastor needs every week. So believe it and rest in it. Enjoy it and be refreshed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we rejoice and are thankful that you have given us rest in Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, we exalt and praise your righteous and holy name that you have won heaven for us. And we have hope as we walk through the trials of this life that we too one day will stand in heaven with you in glory forever, undiminished. Lord, fill our hearts with hope. Fill our hearts with confidence that you are our Savior. And call us out from this world to turn for our eyes from the things of this world and to look upon you, our Savior, who is exalted ascended to the heavens above. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.